Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And Michigan State comes out of Ingle Fieldhouse with a win against Butler, 73-52. to um, And, Rod, they got the transition game going well early. They were running good. Um, the offense slowed down a little bit um, toward the end of the second half. Um, but, really, this thing was played at about a 13, 11 to 13-point margin almost the whole game. Uh, until about the end of the maybe the last eight or ten minutes, the the three started falling for Michigan State, and that was enough to just kind of blow this thing wide open. Um, what what's your thoughts uh, about that game? Butler's obviously a little shorthanded, um, but NZ they, went down. They were, but I'll I'll tell you, um, I I think that that's going to shape up as a nice win. For Michigan State. I'm not getting carried away with anything. Um, I don't think, you know, right now I wouldn't, just based on what we saw out of Butler and, um, you know, where they were picked in the preseason, they certainly aren't considered a lock to be a tournament team. But the reality is, you know, that's a team that's picked mid-standings in the Big East in the preseason. Generally, you find a pick, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, something like that in a good league. And the bigger deal is it was on the road. It was a true road game. Yeah. You know, and as, as they mentioned on the broadcast, I think it was Joe Davis, play by play guy, had said, and he's correct. It, at first I thought, no, that's not true. And then, oh, I understand what he means. He's right. He said it was the first true road game MSU had played since March of 2020. But what he meant by that is the first road game with fans in the stands. Uh-huh. And he's right. It's been a long time. <laughs> It's been it's that been weird eighteen months. Yeah. It, at first he said it. I'm like, what's he talking about? And I said, okay, that's what he means, and he's right. And and boy, for your first one, Butler is not an easy deal. That was a sold out game. I heard, or at least at least officially it was. Obviously, we couldn't see whether there were empty seats in the rafters, but I heard them announce that it is officially a sellout. It's obviously an old historic gym. Um, you could see the crowds right on top of you, uh, mm-hmm. and and they've got. I have not personally dealt with the Butler fan base. I didn't go to uh, that Final Four, but um, from what I have heard, the Butler fan base is tough to deal with. They and and that's I've heard that from several people that it's it's kind of they almost kind of see themselves as a Duke of the Midwest. Which is a joke, <laughs> yes. but but it's a very it's a small private school, but it does have a lot of basketball tradition in a basketball crazy state. And I have heard from more than one person that their fan base is really annoying, really hard <laughs> hard to deal with. So I can imagine it wasn't a pleasant environment at least early to mm-hmm. play in. But Michigan State did its part by kind of jumping on them right out of the gate. Uh, did its part to keep them semi-quiet, you know? 
because they never really let ball. That's the thing I was impressed with, and there, there's a lot to critique, a lot of good things too, but I think the best thing that Michigan State did in this game is they never let Butler get back in it. No. I, I would guess, and I haven't looked at the play-by-play to verify this, but I would I would guess that after the first, I don't know, five, six minutes, um, Butler probably never got any closer than six points. You know? Um, that's That's really important. When you can keep a team down that way, uh that that means something you know you never you never let it get to the point that it's a competitive game and then the and the crowd kind of gets gets in on it you know yeah um that's that matters you know and i i think that uh i'm looking at it right uh, this isn't ideal um but in any event i'm pretty sure that's accurate i'm not sure yeah the closest pushed it the closest i think i see is Seven. No, they got it to six right in the beginning of the second half. Very oh, early. They 34, got it to to, 34 to 28. Yep. And then, but, they made, but, and then yeah. Christie came down and drilled the three like immediately. Immediately answered, right. And it was never, it was never really – I will say this. I never felt like the game was a blowout until they, until they actually blew it out. When, when Gabe hit that three to take it up to 19, I think it was, or 18 – yeah, uh, that was kind of a kill shot, but it, it didn't feel like Michigan State was just running them out of the gym because it wasn't that kind of game. But uh, I also never felt like Michigan. You never felt like, and I'm sure most of our listeners can relate to this. You have stretches in games often where you get that sick feeling in your stomach. Yeah, you can just you can physically feel it that they're going on a run, and never happened. I never felt that way at the courts of this game. And that's that's a tribute to Michigan State because what it means is possession to possession, even through the mistakes, even through the missed threes, you know, the stuff that was going wrong, they they kept competing. Possession mm-hmm. to possession. I mean to use the, the Mel Tucker vernacular. They kept chopping, right? And yeah. and I think that that was important in this game because they kind of gave him to use another football analogy. They just kind of gave Butler the Heisman most of this mm. way. Just kept them at arm's length. You know, never let Butler get a feeling like they were really back in it. And the, the only moment they got it was when they hit that three to cut it to six, and MSU responded within what probably seven or eight seconds. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was like lightning that Christie came down, and that was it. And that's kind of how it went the whole game. The moments that you could kind of feel Butler maybe starting to sort of believe, MSU would answer. And yeah. that's, what a, that's what a good team does. So, you know, as I say, we're going to get into it. There, there were plenty of things to critique. But overall, I feel pretty good about that. You feel good about any road win, all right? Mm-hmm. Let's start with that. And against a Big East opponent, you know, put put this in perspective. If this was February – and that's a 21-point road win at, I'm trying to think of a corollary in the Big Ten this year, at Wisconsin. You're going to feel pretty good about that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of where this sits, in, in my opinion. That's about where this will be. And look, Butler, prob- Butler will definitely have better days than this. Butler probably will get better as Thompson settles back in. Uh, I, I definitely think that he was not great tonight, but 
you know, for for as rough as Butler was in some ways, at least the turnovers, believe it or not, on a night where they had, what they have? They had 14 of them themselves. Uh, it's better than it's been. <laughs> yeah. So, so I yeah. suspect, and you could see, what I was, one of the things I was glad about is that you could see how pick and roll reliant they are, and they were trying to test Michigan State. And for mm-hmm. the most part, I thought Michigan State passed the test pretty well. They did give up penetration at times, but man, uh, Marcus Bingham makes <laughs> yeah. one hell of an impact defensively, and I don't just mean the shot blocks. His wingspan was such a factor in this game, even, again, in plays where he wasn't blocking a shot, just where he was just occupying space and making a passing lane impossible. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if a guard wants to try to finish and take a shot, he's got to worry about getting it squatted. I, I the, the longer we go, the more convinced I am that uh, a big key to this season is going to be how many minutes can they get out of Marcus Bainham. They got 25 out of him tonight. Um, I think there were moments, like toward the at the end of the end first of the half. first half, yeah, where he had that he had that turnover right at the even though he got tripped. The, the fact is, uh, uh, Marcus Bingham, who had some energy, probably doesn't fall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was gassed. So there were points, and you, and you had to wonder, all right, what's he going to be like in the second half? Well, he played very well in the second half too. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm I'm impressed. You know, and that, ma- that makes me think of a, a, maybe a more broader point about the, the rotation, where last year you had – really you had 11 guys rotating and, and then a little bit of Maddie, uh, right? which brings 12. This year it's more like basically nine and with a little bit of Maddie. Uh, Let's see. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You're correct. Nine guys got double-digit minutes. And then in this game, and then you had, you know, Brooks and Smith and Peterson sneak in there for one minute each. Sissoko, they only credit for three. I thought he played a little more than that. But yeah. um, he'd be the 10th guy right now. And mm-hmm. and I think you're right. I don't think that's – it may be literally an every game thing, but it may be – it might often be like tonight where he, he has some cameos. Mm-hmm. He's not really firmly part of it. Um, right now – I mean, you'd have a hard time making a case for it to be any different, right? Yeah. I, I would it, like to see Madi develop more to the point where you could trust him because, as I've said here before, I think he gives Michigan State things defensively and as a rebounder that are much more consistent with what they get out of Marcus as opposed to Julius Marble. But, you know, Julius has held in and, and played okay. He's been good enough. And they're getting, you know, again, tonight, they get 25 minutes out of Markey. If you do that, I don't know how much you need out of Marty, at least right now. Yeah. It just seems like the players on the floor have a little bit more opportunity to get in a rhythm. Where, you know, last year, it seemed like there was too many players that would just be in for eight or nine minutes. And they well, just couldn't get get a feel for it. Whereas, I, I, yeah, I agree with you in this sense. I think that... Uh, it's always easier to play consistently and to play consistently with the same lineups, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're used to playing together under fire. That's all true. I guess the thing about last year, not to defend it, but 
look, they were searching for answers. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Most of the time they had no choice. But again, the nice thing about what's happening so far is you can kind of see a semblance of a rotation coming into view. Now, there's still things that have got to be answered within that, but I I do I hear you and I think ideally with this team right now you like that nine man group. I'd be okay if it stretched to eleven or ten, but that if that meant that Mahdi and Pierre Brooks were forcing their way in a minutes because of how well they were playing. Yeah. You yeah. know? It's, that's what I guess maybe that's the important part of this, right? It's are you expanding your playing group the way it did last year where you're doing it because you're just casting about for any answer? Or are you doing it the way it's happened in other years where Xavier Tillman or Draymond Green by February will just demanded minutes as a freshman because of how well they were playing? That's a different deal. Yeah. You know? And so uh, you mentioned, Marky, I guess, you know, the the concern is diminishing minutes or or diminishing returns, you know. But, again, he's been the most consistent piece on this team. Ten points, six rebounds. You you mentioned it before, six blocks, two steals. Um, Yeah. Four steals on the floor. I really – I love his game this year. I really do. Now, tonight, you know, the offensive contributions – did not they were more of the old Marcus Bingham, meaning they were opportunistic, you know, yeah. offensive rebounds that he put back. You know, he had the one play, it was the first basket of the game, right, where inexplicably Butler just didn't cover him. They just yeah. lost him on the block, and he took mm-hmm. one dribble and dunked it. Um, but that's okay because, this, you know, Butler was a lot of that game was kind of pack line in it, and they were – you know, they, they, there weren't the kind of easier opportunities for him in the post that we've seen in these other games. So that wasn't really there. And, of course, other than during that start, which I still don't understand how it happened, uh, MSU really wasn't able to get fully into transition. I think they did a good job kind of pushing mm. to get up court fast, get into their offense fast. That was important. But they didn't really have a lot. You know, there weren't rim-running opportunities for Markey. No, so no. offensively, it just kind of came to him when the opportunities fell his way. But, man, defensively, I mean, this is a guy I, I want to give credit. There's a poster on the Spartan Mag board, uh, GD71 is his handle, good poster. And if I recall correctly, this was when the portal was still humming and people were anxious to get a, a star five-man in because the position was so rough. And and it was something you and I talked about a lot, that quietly one of the hidden reasons MSU got into the tournament at all is that down that stretch where they were pretty good, Marcus Bingham was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Put up eye-popping numbers, but he was good. He was bringing something defensively. Anyway, this poster made the prediction. He said, I think there's a good chance Marcus Bingham is a first-team all-defense player in the Big Ten next year. And a lot of people scoffed at him because Marcus had, up to that point, not quite proven that he was worthy of the kind of minutes you'd need to play to get that kind of honor. Well, I think we're seeing that happen. Mm-hmm. This Marcus Bingham, I'm telling you, it makes me feel better. About, and there's a long way to go. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to keep this up. But the way he is playing right now, this is a guy that Michigan State can go to war with in the Big Ten against all these giants. Now, you know, there there are going to be physical issues in certain matchups. When he's got a bang with 
you know, Coburn or Dickinson, these kind of guys, yeah, he's still giving up size and strength. But we've seen in the past Marcus play well, a lesser Marcus play well defensively against these guys, right? I mean, we saw him just own Coburn uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. People have probably forgotten that because it feels like ancient history. But when Coburn was a freshman, that team came into East Lansing and Marcus Bingham dominated him. With yeah, his he just volleyballed him the whole yeah. time. So a lesser Marcus Bingham was able to hang in there and make life tough on some of these guys. What is this version going to do? I did, what, I, what I love, and I, before we get out of this segment, I want to make sure I say this. Marcus Bingham has come miles as a pick-and-roll defender, and that's what impressed me most about him tonight. The six blocks are great, but you know that that's possible in any game. He had two steals in this game, and besides the steals, he disrupted far more plays than that. Just by staying long, by, by hedging out, recovering, getting in the lane, and using his length to make passes difficult, if not impossible, for mm-hmm. Butler's guards. It was a clinic, I thought. I thought he was really, really good defensively. Everything else, the rebounding, the scoring, the block shots, that's great. And you need that stuff too. But the best thing he did, in my mind, was just generally the way he played pick-and-roll defense from possession to possession. Mm-hmm. And this was good because Michigan State needed this. I didn't think uh, – they obviously didn't play well against Kansas in that regard, although Kansas was not super – Kansas ran pick and roll, but they were using picks more to get switches. It wasn't pick and roll the way you saw it played tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Western couldn't do it because B. Artist White got hurt in the first two minutes. But tonight they, they had to go through that test. I thought they fared pretty well as a team, and a big part of that was Marcus Bainham. There was one play where I think um, Walker kind of tossed it down to Bingham, like, just because he was so much taller than everybody on the floor at, at certain points, um, rather than like having him post up, that seems like a really at this point, Marcus has grown an inch. He's a legit yep. seven footer, seven four wingspan. You can yep. just throw the ball up to him exactly. And they, some of those, you know, you know, and and I'm trying to remember. It was when Butler went through that segment where they were playing zone, and I can't remember who had the ball, whether it was A.J., whether it was Joey Hauser, somebody had the ball kind of at the free throw line. And Butler's Butler's defender along the baseline had taken a step forward. And Marcus was sitting there. And the, exactly what you're talking about was wide open. And whomever it was did not make that pass. They kicked it out instead. Mm-hmm. And I just, oh, because you're exactly right. With his length, there are going to be times where he's just the tallest guy out there and throwing it up to him around the rim and letting him go make a play is, is a great play for yeah, Michigan yeah. State. Uh, so then, man, you look at the wings. Holy mackerel. Uh, yeah. I guess we'll start with uh, Christie. Uh, 33 minutes, 18 points, two rebounds, and assists. Two for four from three, six for nine from the floor. Uh, hit four for five, three throws, a steal. The first, the first great game from Max Christie. Um, I thought offensively he showed you the full repertoire. Yeah, you know people love the threes and, and all that. The one that really got me out of my seat though was fairly. He had that flurry in the first half 
where yeah. he, he scored a bunch of points, like three different possessions, pretty in short succession. The one where he he was on the right hand side, on the right wing, and he took he took a couple dribbles into the lane, and then he used his body as he was entering the lane. I think he used his shoulder to get the defender to commit to a misdirection and then glided in just one smooth motion, just glided right past him for what became a wide-open layup. It looks simple. I assure you it was not. It was the kind of play that a high-level basketball player makes. And only a a high-level basketball player makes. So to me, he showed everything. He showed that. He showed the hard dribble stab and then pull up for a jumper from the wing, the mid-range jumper. Uh, Obviously, two for four on threes. One of them, that transition three that you really want to see Michigan State take and make this year. Um, That was big. Uh, He just did a little bit of everything, and I thought he was pretty good defensively, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, great, great game from him. He was under control. uh, And as I say, the first of many, because... This is not where, you know, an 18-point performance is going to stop for him. It's it's where it's starting. Yeah. And Gabe Brown, and this is another thing kind of with the, the minutes. I kind of like the fact that Gabe Brown and Christie are getting high 30s, or, well, you know, low 30s. Um, yeah. Because they, given time, those guys will find a rhythm at some point. And Gabe Brown, 19 points tonight, six rebounds. Um, I, I think I think your point is well made, particularly in regard to Gabe. Because mm-hmm. in the first half, Gabe wasn't great. He missed he missed several threes, you know, which is okay. I'm okay with Gabe Brown taking any three that's even remotely open. Yeah, and sometimes when they're not, because he's a good enough shooter. His release is strong enough. He elevates. He's long anyway. You know, even when he's quote unquote guarded. They're usually good shots for him, but they just weren't falling. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the way he played in the second half was a function of exactly what you're talking about, though. He stayed out there, and, and what you hope is that eventually he's going to find it, and he did eventually find it. One thing I want to point to that showed up twice in this game that we have not seen a lot of before, but we are starting to see now pretty much every game at least once or twice. Gabe Brown going hard to the rim from the wing, not mm-hmm. settling, and, and not, but attacking off yeah. the dribble. That is something new from him. It's something I know he's, he's worked hard on his handle in the last couple of off seasons. Last year, we didn't see it as much in games. We are seeing it with much more regularity now, and that's a big deal because it means that defenses can't just sit on him as a shooter. Mm-hmm. If you show it, just if you show it, and tonight he was converting, he was turning that into points, but if you're just showing it, that's going to be enough to get a little bit more room, and that's all he needs. He doesn't need much. So I, I, I liked his game, uh, six rebounds, tie three-way tie between he and um, – uh, Markey and Hauser for the team lead. Um, you know the only the only negative with Gabe is that he fouled out. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joey like, struggled a little bit from the floor. Only two points in this one. Six rebounds. You mentioned uh, zero for five from three. Zero for six overall. Um, but he hit a couple free throws. 
Yeah, and you know, add three turnovers to it as well. Look, I, on on the old message board in the first at halftime, especially in you know, the first half, people were lighting him up, and you expect it. I mean, Joey, <laughs> it's funny. I wondered with Foster Lawyer and Thomas Kithier transferring out, who was going to be the whipping boy this year? I think I found it. <laughs> yeah, um, and I and I get it, Joey Hauser was hyped. And the Joey Hauser we saw last year was not the level of player that people expected, not the level of player I expected. Uh, There are reasons for that, I think, but regardless, the fact is he didn't play that well. The start this year, I thought he was okay against Kansas. I thought he was better in the last game. Tonight, look, he missed shots. The turnovers are a problem, and I think – I know that Izzo insists Joey Hauser is a guy capable of making plays, but I do think I would like the one change I would like to see in his game is I would like to see him just kind of rein it in, not look to be a playmaker in that way. If he wants to try to find people with a pass out of the high post, something like that, okay. But driving, spinning, that stuff, no. I, I think we've seen enough to suggest that's just not reliable enough for him to continue trying to do that. The shooting, though, is a different matter. Those were good shots. Not one of them was forced. All of them were open. And they looked good coming out of his hand. He just missed. They they, they didn't look like bad. They weren't bad misses either, were they? No. I mean, they were really. spinning in and out. You know, it, it wasn't like these were bricks. You know, for MSU's offense to function the way they want it to and need it to, they need that pick-and-pop element. They need a four-man who can hit. Mm-hmm. And now you can say, well, give Malik Hall those minutes. Okay, and maybe you're going to get better play at a Malik Hall. But here's the problem. You're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul in that way because, one, Malik Hall can't play 40 minutes. And the follow-up to that is, they, and this goes to your rotation point, they're using Malik Hall on the wing. It's happening. Mm-hmm. When he when he came into the game initially, Malik Hall was on the wing, not at the four. They need him to play some minutes there. So the only way you're going to be able to get through this thing without playing Joey, he played 23 minutes tonight, Let's say you play him, let's say you cut that by five, still at 18 minutes. The only way you're going to do that is maybe you go some, you go a sequence or two where you play Gabe Brown at the four. And you have either, you have Christie and some combination of Akins, Walker, and Hogard on the two of those three guys on the perimeter, right? Mm. You could try that, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that's a good answer. It might be a good answer offensively, maybe. Um, but I'm not sure it's a good answer in other ways. I'm not sure it's a good answer from a rebounding perspective. Defensively, I mean, you can argue Joey's not a great defensive player, and I'm not going to dispute it, but, you know, it, would Gabe be able to handle some fours in this league? I don't know. So, to me, I think as frustrating as it is for people to hear it, the answer is he's got to keep firing. Yeah, Those were good shots he took, and I'm convinced that eventually – it's going to turn for him, and he's going to hit him. Yeah. But tonight, it was not good. There's no arguing that point. 
and he needs to be better. They need a better Joey Hauser, no question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Walker, he had 25 minutes, uh, five points, a rebound, five assists, three turnovers, though. But you did get the two steals and a block. I thought Tyson played a pretty decent game defensively. Not perfect, but, you know, if he's got Marcus Bainham lurking back there, I'm okay with what he's doing. If he yeah. occasionally gives up penetration and you've got that kind of rim protector back there, that's okay. I thought for the most part, though, he was good there. Offensively, as I keep saying, there were good some good moments in terms of creating the five assists. It was weird. I mean, this was a night where Michigan State scored 73 points and they scored 23 field goals, yet they only had 12 assists as a team. That's not Michigan State basketball, not typical mm-hmm. Michigan State basketball. But but Tyson had five assists. I keep coming back to the same thing, though. Tyson Walker has to be looking for his shot more often. Now, he had he lost a made three because he was his foot was out of bounds on the sideline. Yeah, that hurt him. He also had a free throw he made that they lost because of a lane violation. So he had <laughs> some right. stuff yeah. taken away from him. He easily could have had nine points. In this but only set of five. And you'd you feel a little better about it. But I, I just think um, it's he's continuing to feel his way through this because there were shot opportunities that he didn't take Yeah, off yeah. the pick and roll. He's got to get comfortable with taking that three where he doesn't have a lot of room. Mm-hmm. But he's got enough to get the shot off. You know, it can't just be, well, he only takes a three when they've left him wide open. He also needs to be able to get himself into that area, you know, free throw line, free throw line extended, where that mid-range shot is available. I did, I loved the one floater he took, even though he missed it. Michigan State gets an offensive rebound, and they get an opportunity, and the guy got fouled, whoever it was, Hall, Barble, somebody had an offensive rebound, and they cashed in on the free throws. That's what it'll do, even yeah. if you miss. I always used to say, when Kalen Lucas was at Michigan State, and to some extent Keith Appling too, the best play they had were those guys going to the rim because either they were going to convert, they were going to get fouled, or there was going to be an offensive rebound opportunity for a teammate. Mm-hmm. You know, you when you force a defense to collapse and to deal with you as a penetrator, other things open up, even if you miss the shot. And and that's what they need more out of out of Tyson Walker. But um, I did think the offense was generally better with him uh, on the floor. It was more functional tonight than yeah. with Hogard. But you know, still still progress that's got to be made. This team this team is not going to be good enough to win big in the Big Ten unless they get a more aggressive Tyson Walker. It's that simple. Yeah, They can win big with Joey Hauser occasionally playing like this. They can't win big with Tyson Walker not being better than this, more assertive. There's one, there, the one play that sticked out to me was uh, Bingham had a block uh, on, the, on the end. They came down. They sort of had a little bit of numbers, and uh, it, it, there was a he had a he had an open three, kind of a almost in transition, but he gave it up. But yep, may, and, and maybe no, most people wouldn't understand that. But if you hadn't watched Cassius Winston do that, just exactly hundreds exactly. of times, exactly, you just knew exactly. Oh man, that's it right there. Exactly, he's got to be. He's got to be willing to take that shot. 
Yeah. And I, look, I have faith in him. I believe Izzo's got faith in him. He needs to take the shot. Yep. Just recognize when it's when yep. it's his time. When it's there. Yeah. Uh, so Hall comes off the bench with 18 minutes, uh, eight points, four rebounds, three for four from the field. Um, looked like a little rust in a, a couple times though. Kind of on some drives. Like he was well, he had the little... he had the one where he yeah he tried to make a play, and it's the same thing I say about Joey. I don't want to see Malik Hall necessarily trying to do mid lane spins on anybody, but I do think he's generally a little better trying to go off the dribble than Joey is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a scorer, I think he's able to get to the rim and finish those plays at a better rate. Um, but overall, I thought this was a pretty nice night for Malik Hall. And then mm-hmm. that's apart from the banked in three that he had. <laughs> uh, but yeah. he, I thought he played. I thought he played pretty well. Like picked his spots. You know, he's he's been dealt a hard a hard hand right now in the sense that, as I mentioned, they are using him more on the wing this year than we've ever seen before, and it's out of necessity because they don't. When when Whiten's got hurt and the season was over uh, for him, that that means it's got to be this way at least until there might be a point that you feel you can trust Pierre Brooks. And they're they're not there right now, you know? So uh, there's no choice but to play Malik at that spot, and that's challenging. You know, it's challenging for him at both ends. But uh, but overall, I, I thought this is the best he's played yet this year. I, I, I liked what I saw out of him. Uh, A.J. Hogard, 14 minutes, four rebounds, four assists, no points. Um and you you've mentioned about Hogard uh, driving um, that that may not be available against teams that aren't Western Michigan. It sort of felt like that was the case tonight. Well, they made it harder on him, right? Yeah, they made it harder on him. He still look. One thing I'll give him is even against legit opposition, there are going to be times where AJ can get to the basket. The question is, can he score on those plays against bigger, stronger, better? defenses you know mm. uh this was not a great night for him i mean let's let's not mince words uh i i don't think he was at his best i'll give him the four assists he had one that i really liked the one i really liked was he made a pass to Bainham uh at the rim oh, which marcus right. dunked yeah. that was nice it was a it was nice recognition it was a nice delivery because it was where it absolutely needed to be that play was actually reasonably well defended the, the guy guarding Markey had three quarter, three quarter position on him, and to get that pass completed, it had to be perfect, and it was. And the mm-hmm. pace was good; was there for Mark. You know, Marcus does not have the, the greatest set of hands in the world, so it's not like you can rely on him to catch literally anything. Um, he put it with enough pace to get it there, but enough, but enough pace that Marcus could could catch it at the same time. So that was a nice play. Look, it, it was fine. I mean, I didn't think AJ was a disaster. I just this kind of game, though, is more illustrative of why I keep saying this team's going to go as far as Tyson Walker can take it. In a sense, not that Tyson Walker needs to score twenty points a night, but I do believe it gets better opposition, and and most importantly, teams are going to make you play in the half court, which after the first seven eight minutes or so, Butler did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Tyson Walker is the guy who will better be able to break a half-court defense down, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. He's still got to get a lot better. But, you know, the minute distribution, too, I liked better tonight. Walker played 25, Hogarth played 14. That's closer to what I had in mind at the start of the season, whereas the first two games in the exhibitions, it's been more of a 50-50 split. Um, I just don't think that's optimal. I think that's a little too much AJ, not enough, not enough Tyson. Well, and Walker didn't have any personal fouls this game, so he he did re- rein that in to some degree. He did, no he gambling, did. And, and yet he was still, and yet he was still active, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's important, you know. Two steals was he was yeah. It was, there were some good things from Tyson. We just need a lot more AJ, you know. I'm not I'm not terribly down on it because my expectations are somewhat muted. To me, I see him as a backup point guard and so I'm not expecting him to go out and and dominate the world, you know? So if you look at him through that prism, well, four assists, two turnovers, four rebounds, you know, okay defense, that, that's contributing. Mm-hmm. You know? He just he can't be the guy. I just I'm I'm convinced of that. Uh, and then Jaden Akins, 13 minutes, 2.5 rebounds. Um, yeah. He got the line to hit a couple free throws, but three turnovers. That's, uh, you know, the turnovers, okay, young player. He made, I, there was a, a play late in the game when he was still in there when uh, it was just a young guy getting out of control. But, man, the rebounding. I mean, you continue to have yeah. to be impressed. With, with what he is capable of doing athletically and, and also just being willing to stick his nose in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do it. He's not afraid. He's not afraid of contact. You know, he's not, he's gotten stronger since high school. That's helping him, but he's not, this isn't Mateen Cleaves. And, and yet he is willing to go out there and compete. And that's a good sign because we talk about this a lot. To me, Wing rebounding is something this team needs. And, you know, you look at it tonight, not a big night on the boards from Christie, but you get six out of Gabe, you get five out of Aikens, and then you also get Hogard with four. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's what you want to see out of the perimeter group. Uh, And then Marble, 12 minutes, six points, three rebounds, two for four from the floor, a block, a couple turnovers. Yeah, you know, it was okay from from Julius. I mean, he played a little less than we've seen lately, and I'm okay with that because if you can, if you get a Marcus Bingham at 25 minutes and you're not suffering because, say, five of those aren't bad minutes because he's exhausted, um, that's a that's a big positive to me. I I think with Julius, a little less is going to be a little more. If you have to play him 20. I think some of the deficiencies, which I will give him credit for, he's improved. He's a better yeah. rebounder and a better defender than he's been. But I think the more you play him, the more you'll start to see those things maybe show up a little bit, whereas in shorter stints, maybe you get more of the positive. So I was okay with him tonight. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just a couple runs for uh, Sissoko, four minutes, three points. Nice play by <laughs> nice play by Pierre Brooks um, to uh, and God they did they, okay they did credit him with an assist good because he made a great play in transition to, to Mati for a dunk um, yeah you know I mean Mati look I, I my hope for him is that by some point maybe late January 
that he has emerged to a, to a level that they feel comfortable giving him more than the cameo, you know, one turn. Uh-huh. Um, because I think I think his ability to defend, his ability to rebound can be a big plus for this team, and also in transition too. Because mm-hmm. He's such a got such a high motor and such a good athlete. He could contribute a little bit just as a rim runner. Um, I, you know, I like I like that possibility for this team, but uh, we'll see if he can get there. It's a process. Jim Jackson talked about that a little bit. You know, Sissoko is one of those guys that, you know, at some point in his career, you know, he's going to start contributing consistently, and you're going to say, where'd this guy come from? Well, we all know <laughs> the physical tools are there. There's yeah. no question about that. And And he even shows, you know, in the last game, he had that post move, which was really nice. It's not like this is an unskilled guy. Yeah. I think it's just getting it to all hang together and be able to make it all function within the flow of a game. That's where it hasn't all come into place yet, but it's a process. And, you know, it, you just want to see him keep getting these opportunities so that maybe by January you're looking at a different guy. Yeah. Uh, so, if we turn to the keys, Rod, pick and roll defense. Um, not having Enzi out there probably hurt them quite a bit. He was probably a big part of their pick and roll. Uh, yeah, I mean, as a as a perimeter shooter, he's done it in his career, but, you know, he wasn't having – he wasn't off to a great start shooting the ball. And, you know, Ty Gross actually went three for eight from threes, and he sucked up a yeah. lot of those minutes. Yep. So I'm not sure how much that ended up. I mean, look, over the course of a season, Enzi is obviously their best candidate. I'm not sure in this game how much it meant. Mm. We'll see. I think in general, you have to be pretty okay with the way Michigan State defended. Um, Butler ended up 9 for 30 on threes. That means they were 7 for 26 on twos. Um that's pretty damn good defense. <laughs> yeah. And Butler had 14 turnovers, a lot, for a team that doesn't play that fast, and only eight assists. So that means what we were not seeing is a Butler guard breaking Michigan State down and finding people. We also mm-hmm. weren't seeing a Butler guard breaking people down and finishing or drawing yeah. fouls. I mean, they did shoot 18 free throws, but a lot of those – a lot of those came late, and it was just uh, – I'll get on the, the once-a-year hobby horse of um, talking about how the way that the NCAA handles officiating is criminal, and it, and it virtually ensures that games in November and to some extent December can be rendered virtually unwatchable. Um, because these guys – I don't look I, – I don't like – DJ Karsten, I think, is a bomb. But uh, I don't blame these guys because I know what's going on. They are evaluated based on calls that are video reviews of these games by the Office of Officiating. And your ability to get tournament assignments, all of that, is based largely in part upon how you're graded. And so they are told and they are encouraged to call stuff that those of us who know the game understand should not be called they're a waste of time you know you have i always go back to this that to me 
The very point of officiating is a simple one. It's to make sure that by virtue of what the action is, what a team or individual is doing, does not give them an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. That's the, I mean, simply put, that's what it's supposed to be about, right? I don't think there's any arguing with that. And way too often, we have stuff called that simply didn't give anybody an advantage or, conversely, put the other team at a disadvantage. It just was, and it's called because these guys need to call it because they don't want to get called out on video review. And yeah, the, the only thing that helps is the, is the referee. <laughs> right, exactly. It does not help the watchability of a game. So, uh, you know, Butler, as I say, had 18 free throws. They probably should have had half those if the game – and, again, I'm not even blaming the officials as much as I don't like Karsten. Um, uh it, any penetration that they got, it seemed to be was not down the middle. It was all around the end. Yeah, and a lot of correct. Times they were they were out of control and turning the ball over by the time they got close to the rim. But a, but a it, lot of that, but a lot of that was forced in a sense because you had even if a Michigan State perimeter defender got the corner turned on him there was always or nearly always somebody at home around the rim. So mm-hmm. a Butler guard, Thompson or Harris or whomever, turns the corner and and gets there, they don't have anything. So they're trying to force a pass, they're trying to force a shot, and it leads to a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think some of that, that's, this is why I say I was really happy with the way Michigan State, for the most part, with the way Michigan State played um, defense in terms of limiting what Butler was able to do going to the rim because God knows they were trying it. It's it's their offense. I mean, you saw that. Other yeah. than other than kicking for threes, it's really all they do. There's no mid range game to speak of. They don't post anybody up really. It's it's basically that, and so that was a good test. Mm. Uh, so the second key pick the transition spots. Boy, early on, great. <laughs> you know, um, I'll see what they what they have to say. Well, this says Michigan State had ten fast break points, and Butler had zero. Um, so that's a decisive edge. I, I thought Michigan State was really good in pushing because early they actually got some points out of it. Yeah. But over the course of the game, I thought they were at least trying. And that's important. You know, that puts a defense under stress. It also means you're getting into your half-court set earlier. You're not wasting time, you know, kind of walking it up, not, you know, and and dancing around, making perimeter passes and not really getting into anything. Michigan State was quick into their offense for the most part. And that's going to matter. That's going to be a big positive. Hmm. So this this was a good test. I mean, I'll admit, and I tweeted this during the game, I was frankly stunned by how easily Butler was giving up transition opportunities for MSU in that game. It was so non-Butler-like, and, you know, we talked about in the preview. Without Jordan, by virtue of his years at Michigan as an assistant, he knows firsthand what MSU wants to do. I was really surprised that they were that loose. Well, they, they mm-hmm. did tighten it up, but MSU kept coming. So yeah. I'm okay with that, and I thought that uh, that both point guards did a nice job. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the third key was Walker. 
We talked about him a little bit already. Yeah. Not a he plus. Did. I'm not going to say a minus, but he's he's not yet figured out. We talked it to death, but just to kind of put a bow on it, he has not yet figured out the balance that MSU needs him to figure out. That hasn't come yet. Coming off that transition uh, point, he did hit Gabe kind of perfectly in stride on that one toward the end of the game. Yeah. Um, like, and that's the type of thing you've talked about a lot. It's just hitting guys right in rhythm. You know, he did. Perfect timing. That's yeah. an encouraging pass. You're you're right to point that out. And that was a play where it was kind of a kind of a secondary break deal because he got the ball yeah. and he wasn't he didn't throw it ahead, which uh-huh. he doesn't do as well as Hogarth. It's not instinctual to Tyson. Tyson's a guy who looks to handle the break via the dribble. And he's quick enough that that can be okay. That play was an example of it, though. He kind of got the ball in the middle of the court, kind of weaved his way through a little bit of traffic in transition, and as you say, hit Gabe right on time, right in in stride, in the right shooting pocket, and he delivered. And that was the knockout punch. I was the one that took it to 18, and, and from there it was just a matter of what the final score was going to be. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, uh, a nice play. We need more of it. But more importantly, I need more. I said this on the message board. Sometimes Tyson in the half court is just sort of existing out there. Yeah. And that can't be what he is. He needs to be dynamic. He needs to be making stuff happen. That's what his role is on this team, and this team, frankly, needs him to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the fourth key, contest shot. Hey, um, you know, they shot nine for 30 from three, and they hit a couple of them late. They were at 30%. Yeah. They were actually a little worse than that, I thought, um, over the course of the game. They, again, they hit a couple in garbage time. Um, pretty good. I thought Michigan State, again, we, we said they did a pretty good job at dealing with pick and roll, denying them getting a lot done off off penetration. But the challenge was going to be, okay, given that, can you walk the line and balance that by also making sure that they're not getting a lot of wide-open threes? And I thought, for the most part, MSU did a pretty good job. Yeah. Uh, and then unforced giveaways. Well, look, 20 turnovers is – I mean, that's the thing. It, it would be fair to sit there and wonder – you beat this team by 21 while making 20 turnovers. What's the final score if you cut that in half? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because they you had... beat them by 30? Seven more shot attempts than Michigan State. Right. And and it wasn't because and it wasn't because of rebounding. You know, I, I, I yeah. wanted to get this on the record. You know, the offensive rebounding on the counting stats looks close. It was 11 for MSU, 10 for Butler. But what we have to remember is... Butler missed 40 shots, so they only had a 25% offensive rebounding rate. That is pretty decent by MSU, meaning they're grabbing defensive rebounds 75% of the time, three-quarters of the time. Michigan State, on the other hand, um, had an offensive rebounding rate, and it was really good in the first half, of 42%, which is outstanding. That's like, that's like you know top 10 in the country for sure, maybe even top five. Um, if you did that regularly. So 
it would have been even worse if Michigan State hadn't been as good as they were on the class. But yeah, yeah it's cra- it's crazy. And again, some of that was also let's let's understand MSU shot a few more free throws. That takes away from your field goal attempts. It's not quite as bad as all that, but um, six turnover difference. I, I will say this: we said in that key in discussing it, if one team has a decisive advantage in that area, they're probably going to win. Well, I would say a six turnover margin is pretty decisive. And not only did Butler not win, they weren't even close, which shows you just how good MSU was in other areas. But this is, look, it's got to get cleaned up. I mean, this is not going to fly. I can tell you this. The first game uh, in the Bahamas, you're going up against a Loyola team that is tough defensively. They are tough. They are going to guard the hell out of Michigan State. MSU cannot get away with this in that game. They will not get away with it in that game. So somehow between now and then, they got to figure it out and tighten this up to some extent because it's, you know, hopefully the free throw shooting, is, you know, they were 79% tonight, 19 for 24. Hopefully people have gotten to understand that that's not going to be a chronic problem. It was a bad night or two. Um, they were 8 for 24 as a team from 3. Not great, but better, especially the second half. Um, I think this is going to be a good shooting team in the end. So those are not issues to me that concern me long term. But the turnovers, yeah, it's starting to, it's starting to be a worry because, it, I mean, as long as it, it, there's, Offensive rebounding percentage, yeah, like they were 19th coming into this game, and then this doesn't hurt. They they're above their average in this one. Okay, if they can keep that up. But let me ask you a question: In the Big Ten, we talk about this all the time. The <laughs> amount of size that they're going to be facing regularly. Do you think that they're going to have a lot of nights where they've got 42 percent offensive rebounding rates? Probably. They not. might, maybe, but I don't. I don't count on that. Well, like I don't last think year, they, they were like 91 in offensive rebounding. I, I think they can be better than they were, and a large part of that may come down to Gabe Brown be more engaged, and you're adding Max Christie and Jade Nakins. You did lose Aaron Henry, of course, but you know maybe it's you're, you're gaining three and having lost one. You know, yeah. um, so maybe they will be better. I'm just saying, I, I'm with you. If the staples are there, if this becomes a good rebounding team by MSU standards, and a good defensive team, and it's possible that both those things happen, then they can probably get away with being sloppy. But I'm not saying I want – I expect single-digit turnover games. I just – if they'd come into this game and had 13, like, okay. Yeah. You know, not great, but not a disaster. 20, that, that's not – that's just not going to cut it. So, you know, again, we we know that the competition is going to ramp up here pretty soon and starting in the Bahamas, but it's, you know, then you get into Big Ten play and it's it's every night. So, I don't know. These are the things, you know, they're going to get get a game on Saturday night against Eastern, which, you know, will, thankfully, we're not going to see the Rob Murphy matchup zone. Um, so they get one more opportunity to tune up before they head to the battle for Atlantis. But I'm telling you, it's you start with Loyola, and that's going to be a good defensive team. 
You then face one of Auburn and UConn. And then on the other side, you're going to play one of Arizona State, Baylor, Syracuse, and VCU. Now, I don't. Th- there's not a top ten team, in my view, in that group. I don't think Baylor is going to be what they were last year, but they're still good. There's a lot of good teams, though, solid teams. So you're just not – certainly teams that are at the very least comparable to what you saw tonight. Mm-hmm. And most of them, I would say, are better than Butler. Um, that's going to be a challenge if you are kicking the ball around this way. That's what I'm saying. So it's yeah. they don't have to be perfect. They just got to get a lot better. Okay. Well, uh, any final thoughts before we head into Eastern? I, I think it's a good win. Anytime you win a road game, it's good. Anytime you beat another, you know, Big East technically is not a power five, but they are for basketball purposes at that level. They're treated that way. Mm-hmm. So these are good things. You know, and, and again, with the battle for Atlantis coming up and you don't know how that's going to go, you want to get these opportunities that you've got for, you know, at least semi-meaningful wins in the right column. And they did that tonight. And the same thing's going to apply with the home game in the Big Ten ACC Challenge against Louisville. That's one that I kind of feel like you got to get. Uh-huh. And, and if you yeah. do that, then, you know, the Bahamas, as long as you don't go 0-3, you can live with it, you know. You have hopes to win it, and if not that, then at least two and one. But, you know, it would take this, – this this sets you up to kind of go into that playing a little more freely. If they had lost this game somehow, well, all of a sudden the Bahamas means a lot. And it's well, too you, early for that. <laughs> and when you look at how the Big Ten has fared so far, um, boy, it's it's starting to look like – they may not have as good a like you know overall ranking coming in. Yeah, the season. you make a you make a good point, and I hadn't I hadn't really even zeroed in on that yet. But you're absolutely right. This is the time of the year where the net rating is made, right? Mm, it's yeah. the non-conference stuff. Now they've still got opportunities because you've got um, you've got the holiday tournaments coming up, and then after that you've got the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So there are still games out there that people will be able to play, and perhaps the Big Ten can get rolling on that. It hasn't all been a disaster, but I think this I, – I, I was on Jack Ebling's show this afternoon talking about this game, and he brought up the fact that the Big Ten came into the night 0-4 in mm-hmm. the Gavit games. Well, it's only four games. So, you know, yeah, Michigan loses at home. Illinois loses in embarrassing fashion. Um which, frankly, I was very entertained by. I was entertained by both of those losses. But um, I don't think it's critical yet, but you do make a point. You're going you're gonna to want to be pulling for Big Ten teams come next week when the Thanksgiving tournaments are in full swing because yeah. you want to see that those net ratings as high as possible once you have a conference. Compounding I would, effect. I would say this, though. Um, the other thing about the conference is – other than Purdue, I'm not knocked out by anybody. Mm-hmm. I, I Illinois is, and we should talk about. They got a commitment today from Ty Rogers, so we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, uh, before we go, but um, I have been stunned by what I've seen coming out of the Illinois program this year. 
recently, like in the last few weeks leading up to the season. It's it's one thing if your fan base is running their mouths and saying stupid shit because, you know, that's how fans are, whatever. It doesn't mean anything. But mm. within their program, Andre Curbelo saying, we're going to be better than we were last year. Brad Underwood quoted last week saying, we're kind of becoming guard you. Well, <laughs> okay. his guards lost on that game against Marquette. And, and I said this in our preview, and I felt strongly about this. The anointing of Andre Curbelo as an elite player struck me as, as mostly the product of people that don't pay, pay close enough attention getting enamored by extremely creative play. And he is the most creative player in the Big Ten, maybe the country. I'll give him that. But he's also a kid who shot 16% from three. That's one six. <laughs> and committed a boatload of turnovers. And you know what I've seen thus far this season? The same thing. Mm. Except this year it really matters because they don't have Io anymore to bail them out, and Curbelo has to be the guy. You know, Trent Frazier is a good player, and he can play, but he's not a guy that I believe you can contend for Big Ten championships with if he's your primary creative force. Yeah. And he's not going to be. The only way Curbelo's not trying to do that is if you bench him, because that's mm-hmm. who he is. But I'm telling you, and I know they've played these games without Coburn, and I'm sure their fans think we get him back, it's all different. Well, you know what? Coburn's got problems of his own. He is mm-hmm. a, a physically dominant player who also has major flaws, which is part of the reason why he's still in college because he has those flaws. I mean, who would have thought this kid would be playing his junior year in college, mm-hmm. right? No way. But here he is, and a big part of the reason why is he can't get out and defend anybody, and it's basically a dunk layup, and that's it on offense, and he's a horrendously bad passer. Yeah. So that's your Big Ten player of the year? Okay. <laughs> so – I think Illinois is actually not so much because of the results. You know, losing against Marquette, Marquette's not very good, but it's not the end of the world, a game mm. in November. But all the signs I see around that program, I would label it as hubris mm-hmm. as much as anything else. Like, what have you done? You had one year where you finished second in the Big Ten and you couldn't get out of the Sweet 16. And, and anybody is supposed to be impressed? Act like you need to prove something. I mean, it's it's the polar opposite of what we see in Michigan State's football program, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> no sense of entitlement versus massive unearned sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Illinois, I picked, them, I picked them third. I don't feel too good about that right now. We'll see. Long way to go. Uh-huh. But there are problems. And Michigan, you know, losing to Seton Hall um, – there are problems there, too. For one, with the Ballyhooed best recruiting class in the nation, I, I said this, I know I said this in our preview, the reason I picked Purdue ahead of them, it primarily came down to the fact that Purdue brought everybody back and Michigan was replacing three starters and their sixth man and their top big man backup, and that was a ton of production to replace with new guys. And despite the recruiting class's ranking, I was not convinced these guys are not the equivalent of what Kentucky or Duke has been rolling out there in recent years. They're just not. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Three of them aren't even playing. That's Mm -hmm. one big problem Juwan Howard has is he has no guards. He's got his two starters, 
and then Kobe Bufkin has shown flashes, and I think he'll be effective at points this year, but he's the only guy right now. That's a problem. That's a big, big problem. So lack of depth, lack of guard play outside of Eli Brooks. I'm not saying I think Michigan falls off a cliff, but to me, I'm more convinced than ever that the gap between Purdue and everybody else is a big, big gap. And, yeah. and I think that if you're Michigan, Ohio State has not looked good. They're still undefeated, but they shouldn't be. And they deserve to lose two games, in my opinion, and they've managed to squeak them out. But I saw a news item today, Justice Suing has a very serious groin problem, and they haven't confirmed this yet, but they're tossing around at least the possibility that it could be year-ending. Oh, if that's no. the case, Ohio State, who I picked for fourth, takes a hit. So Maryland lost at home tonight to George Mason. Oh, They were a popular <laughs> pick to be a contender. So the Big Ten, maybe, and, and this is good if you're a Michigan State fan because all of a sudden, yeah. in my eyes, I start seeing this thing open up, and I say, well, right now, the only school that's got a good, hard reason to feel better about themselves than MSU does in this league is Purdue. And and I expected that all along. So I'd take that. The MSU should should absolutely feel like they're capable of competing in the upper echelon of this conference. I don't know whether they're going to finish there. Everybody's got problems, but that's kind of my point. Everybody's mm-hmm. got problems. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Ty Rogers. Ty Rogers. Um, yeah, so Ty Rogers, the last high school player MSU was recruiting, at this point at least, did commit to Illinois today. Um, not a shocker in that, you know, we talked about this, I believe, when he transferred out of Grand Blank and went to play in Thornton, Illinois, in suburban Chicago, the guy he was playing for is Ty Streets. Ty Streets, former University of Michigan wide receiver, has run a program, an AAU program out of Chicagoland called Mean Streets. They're a Nike EYBL program. Had a lot of guys, a lot of guys Michigan State's recruited, as a matter of fact, over the years. Um, but there's another guy named Tim Anderson. And, oh, Ty Streets is his high school coach. I'm sorry to complete that thought. That's where he transferred to. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a weird story in grand blank. Nobody's firmly going on record what went on, but – if what I've heard was accurate, I don't necessarily blame him uh, for leaving. I don't know about going to Thornton, Illinois, but you get it. This is a guy you know, you played AAU for comfort level, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the other part of the equation here is that you remember when Illinois lost their two assistants to Kentucky, another sign of a healthy program, by the way. Yeah. Two guys leave after your great season. But I digress. Um they uh, one of the guys they hired is a guy named Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson was a longtime coach with Mean Streets and also a private trainer who was instrumental in the recruitment of Romeo Weems to DePaul when he was uh, an assistant at DePaul. He left. I'm sorry, I missed that. So he le- he was with Mean Streets and he was a trainer. Then whatever it was, two years ago he got hired on as an assistant at DePaul. He got Romeo Weems, who briefly played for Mean Streets, and he was Anderson was part of that equation. It was the usual horseshit. You see, well, my trainer, who's an assistant coach here now, he develops NBA players. Really? <laughs> uh, but in any event, Tim Anderson is now on the staff at Illinois. 
doesn't take a lot to connect the dots. Mm. Uh, you know, I will give Tom Izzo this. He is always more dogged in this stuff than I would ever be or than most of us would ever be. Because if you'd asked me two years ago, and I'm sure we talked about it here, what are the chances that Ty Rogers plays at Michigan State? I would have said nil, zero. Because I knew, I, I sat, when he was a rising freshman, I sat at an AAU event where he was playing for the family at the time and they were playing Imani Bates' team. And mm-hmm. I heard his father talking to other parents and the subject of Michigan State came up in those discussions. I won't go into detail. It was all the same horse shit that you know, you've heard from people who want to be negative about a program that you can scarcely believe there's any negativity around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I heard that. I said, this kid's never been. And, and yeah, he's related to Jason Richardson, but we found out with Tugs Bowen what that means. Yeah. Um, and as I never would have given him a shot, but MSU kept after him, kept after him. He, he took three visits to MSU's campus between, I think, July and October. He was on campus as recently as the Michigan football game. And everything I've heard said the coaching staff actually felt really good about it. And I'm sure it did go well. I'm sure they did connect well with him. And he would have been tailor-made for Tom Izzo's program. But it's not going to happen. So he's going to be at Illinois. Um, Good luck to him there. I'm not saying that he can't succeed there, but I will say he was meant to play for Tom Izzo by virtue of the strengths and weaknesses in his game. Uh, He, He is tough. He is going to be a very good and a very versatile defender, and he can rebound. What he can't really do is create a lot of offense for himself. And I don't know that he's ever going to be a good shooter. So, you know, you look at that and you say, well, could Michigan, has Michigan State proven they can use guys like that? Yeah. He's like a less athletic version of, of B.J. Dawson, in my mind. That's who he reminds me of most. So, yes, he would play early at Michigan State, and I think by the time he was an upperclassman, he might have had a chance to develop into something more than just a, a nice um, you know, piece of a puzzle into maybe something more than that. I don't know how it's going to go at Illinois, but we'll see. Uh, so with that done now, I would be surprised if you see Michigan State getting in on other high school players. I, uh, I think that the die is cast. We, we didn't even talk about it. Uh, thank God, uh, Tawan Holloman and Jackson Kohler both submitted their national letters of intent. So there's no drama there. They are in the fold. And that's going to be it in terms of high school players. So what it means is I expect Michigan State to be active in the portal for at least one wing. And, it, you know, we don't know yet what's going to happen with Gabe, with Marky, with, with Joey. All three of those guys could come back for another year if they so chose because of COVID. Um, and, uh, we don't know yet, but at the very least, I would expect Michigan State to be going after one wing, and it could be you know multiple guys they're going after in the portal. In terms of what that means for next year, this is why I don't sweat the Ty Rogers recruitment. I would have liked him to be part of the program because I've seen guys like him succeed in MSU, and it's a multi-year guy, you know, mm-hmm. stability like that for next year's team. They might be better off with a guy in the portal if they get the right guy, and I think mm-hmm. they will. I think they, I certainly think they're capable of getting someone who is capable of doing more to help next year's team than Ty Rogers would. I think Ty Rogers would have played on next year's team, but I definitely think it's possible to add somebody in the portal who can do more immediately. Uh, 
you know. So that's so I, for people who love recruiting and all of that, I think you're going to have to wait <laughs> until <laughs> we get into March and April and we start seeing who's out there and who Michigan State is interested in and vice versa, and we'll we'll pick it up then. But for now, I think we're done with the high school component of recruiting. Okay. Well, uh, we'll finish this one off there and um, get a preview up for Eastern before that one. Until next time, the Final Four is not on the schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.